Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, one of your community evangelists with the F5 Dev Central team, and I am your host today. Dev Central is supported by community.f5.com. This is our message forums where we publish uh, blog articles. You can ask questions about F5 technology. You can ask questions about any technology, to be honest. Uh, we have a lot of uh, great uh, folks on there who can help answer questions if you have them. Um, or you can help also help answer questions yourself as well. Um, so on that site, though, if you head over to community.f5.com, one of the things I wanted to highlight is the events uh, area of that site. And what we do is we list all of the events that are happening globally within F5. Um, it could be something like some of the webinars that are happening. It could be some of the user groups that are starting to kick back up in person again. So everybody's really excited about those. Uh, we're starting to bring on user groups within the community.f5.com uh, forums as well. So look out for that. There's one for the Ohio users group. There's one for public sector types of uh, clients as well. If you fit into federal government, local government, state local government, education, that kind of stuff, we have a, we have a group for you as well. Um, one of the events that I do want to highlight, though, is the North America Public Sector Symposium. And this is a hybrid event. This is happening let me just pull up the details here. This is happening March 21st, 22nd, and 23rd in McLean, Virginia at the Ritz-Carlton Tyson's Corner. Uh, so if you are in the area, would love for you to go check that out because we actually have in-person Francois Locodono, our CEO and president, Kara Sprague, our um, chief product officer as well. And they're always great people to listen to. They always have uh, really great insights uh, to share. Um, a couple of things that are happening during that event is some training sessions that are happening on there. So if you are looking to uh, level up your skill set with F5, you're looking to write certifications for F5, uh, be sure to check out that event uh, as well. And speaking of certifications, if you're a CISSP or you're one of those ISC Square folks who needs to collect their CPEs every year, uh, be sure to check out that event because you can actually claim CPE credits for your attendance at that event. So that's something important to check out. Um, one other thing or two other things that I want to mention as well, actually. So my colleague, Jason Ron, he's doing some live coding events. Those are all, always really fun for folks to attend. And one that he's going through right now for the next few weeks is Microservices March from Nginx. So if you head over to nginx.com mm, Nginx is running four weeks of free training for anybody who wants to check it out on microservices. They kind of take this leadership within the industry to, to try to train folks on this, uh, on this topic. And what they have is they have full labs that are built out and they're hosted, uh, I believe, on the Instruct platform. So you go on there, all hosted, free access, gives you all the instructions. And you actually go through and, and uh, work through the lab. Now, how that ties back to Jason is he's actually running through Microservices March totally blind. He hasn't seen the lab before. What he'll do is he'll just jump on live and he'll walk through the lab as he sees it. And you'll see any of the points that he's stumbling upon, any typos that he's making. You can you can um, um, heckle him as he goes through the labs if you want, or you can help him as he goes through the labs. Uh, your choice. Uh, but he is doing that live and he's doing that on Thursdays. He was doing it this past week here and uh, and had a good time doing that. So 
uh, be sure to check that out. And then one last thing I will mention is that you might be watching this right now. You might be watching this from YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. If you haven't already, please follow us on those platforms. Leave comments uh, as well, and we'll be able to address them either during the show or we can look at them afterwards as well. And this is also turned into an audio podcast. So Apple, Google, and Spotify. You look for Dev Central on there, and you'll be able to listen to us as some folks are actually heading back to the office and might have some time to kill on their commutes. So with all that being said, uh, today we have on our guest, Ryan McLean. He is a developer advocate with uh, Datadog, and he happens to actually live in Vancouver as well. So a couple of weeks ago, I actually had somebody else who was in Vancouver. I myself, I'm in Vancouver, Canada as well. So it's really cool to be able to connect with folks that are local to me. I don't know why I didn't think ahead and actually do this in person, but anyways, we'll figure that out for another time. So without further ado, let me bring on Ryan. Ryan, how you doing? Not too bad at all. The weather's nice in Vancouver, which I think really helps the mood. How about yourself? Yeah, it is pretty nice, actually. I'm good. I am uh, enjoying that the snow is almost melted away from my front yard. If I look outside, there's just a little bit left, but otherwise uh, it's almost out of there. But uh, amazing that we both live in Vancouver and I didn't think to actually do this in person. It, it happens. Listen, I, I could have thought ahead as well. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, but we'll use the technology anyways to... Um, one day, uh, one day, do this in person. Um, so, Ryan, for folks who are not familiar with you, maybe you can give us a little bit of an idea of uh, what you're up to at Datadog. Yeah, no problem. So, I've been in the industry for it feels like almost about 20 years at this point in time. So, generally on the ops side, so SRE, platform engineering, DevOps, that kind of stuff has been my bread and butter for a long time. I've been on the sales side, consulting side, I've been in small, medium business, enterprise, that kind of stuff. So, I think that. The most recent experience is probably relevant for this is about a three-year stint at Samsung doing some operations for stuff like Samsung Pay, for example, as, as one of the apps that was pretty big. And then talking about monitoring within Samsung, sort of flying around the world, training teams on different monitoring solutions that we use, because of course, in an enterprise, you'll have many different solutions that you use, so making sure everybody, be it tier one, tier two, tier three, sometimes even the business, making them understand how the monitoring works, what it actually tells you, how some of them are indicators for the business, some of them are for the app, and some might be combined between the two. And I sort of rolled that into a position at Datadog, which we used at Samsung. And mm -hmm. just, uh, I, I've used for Datadog, it feels like over 10 years at this point in time, but just talking about like where we are, where we're going, and, and how we can help essentially. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I didn't realize Datadog has been around for that long, but I guess I have kind of heard the name over over the years at this point. Um, what are, what are maybe, you know, yeah. And, and maybe um, for folks who aren't familiar with Datadog, we can kind of get into it here, but you can give us an idea of what Datadog does. Yeah, for sure. So it might be a new, I've named it to some people if you've not heard of us before. Basically, we're a monitoring security and observability platform that provides full visibility across your organization. So that means like if you're trying to figure out uh, like a metric for something that's running, we can basically help you chart that. And I'll get into some of the different ways of some of the different things that you might want to look at, mm. things like sign-ups are, are an easy example. But basically we spend end-to-end, -end, so that's from your infrastructure and your network all the way up to your application and services, and then all the way to your end users. When you open up a website in a browser or on your phone, for example, help you understand how the website loaded as well, which is pretty handy. Yeah, I thought this was a great conversation to have because realizing that while at F5, we do have some monitoring tools, a lot of them are kind of centered around right. the F5 product, whether it's the Nginx or the Big IP. 
And so obviously we're not the only things in the environment. And so a lot of customers ask us on how to feed our data into something else because we do capture a lot of data. Everything's decrypted as it runs through us. So pretty cool spot to actually gather some interesting information about what's going on. And we actually have some integrations with Datadog. So today we're going to be talking about monitoring for everybody. And maybe you can uh, maybe you can lead us through that. What are your thoughts on monitoring? Yeah, so basically a lot of the times when we talk about DevOps, one of the, the biggest things that we're approaching is just, just to break it down for some of you who may not be familiar with it, but it's, it's a culture, the automation, the measurement and the sharing. And basically what I'll talk about today is that that A and the M part, so the automation and the measurement part is essentially useful for everybody who's in not just like a software company, but, but most companies actually. Monitoring is pretty important for most of the things that you're doing. Some of it might be in Excel spreadsheet, you might put some of it in the SQL database, that kind of stuff. But at, at general, generally, if you boil it down at the, at the basic level, what you want to be doing is figuring out what your baseline is, where you want to be, and then tracking your success getting there, or, or maybe you're trying to do something like reduce errors, that kind of thing. So it's, it's pretty generic. However, it's very powerful. So measuring what you're doing, be it in business intelligence or on the finance side, is very important as you grow as a business. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Cool. Let's, uh, let's get into it then. Sure thing. So the first concept I want to introduce is it's called, and this is my kind of like a rubric, a good way to remember it, but it's called let's use red. No, no, three of these are, are kind of the same thing. So, so let's is the four golden signals. So you've probably heard of something called like latency errors. It, it, it'll stop me if, it, if this is ringing a bell, but traffic and saturation. So basically latency is like how long it takes for your service to handle a request. So it, it could be something like an F5 big IP. So if I send a box, some information, how long does it take to process or apply a rule to it? And often like at looking at one specific transaction might be a little bit difficult, but in on mass, it might be interesting to look at like your P99. So what, what percentile of the traffic is very slow? What does that look like? When does it happen? Is there a trend, that kind of thing? Or maybe it's something like on average, how long does it take for something to go through this system? Or maybe it's something like, uh, what what is the fastest I can possibly achieve? Or what is my current state, my steady state? And then what is the the traffic like on something like a Black Friday? What does that look like when I'm handling a big spike of traffic? What does that look like? And the second one is errors, which most people will get, but just in case, like it's essentially the rate of failing requests. And then the traffic is basically at what clip am I going? How, how fast am I going? If there's an RPM meter for this, if, if we're going to use like a car analogy or something like that, how quickly are things going through it? Is it megabits per second, megabytes per second? Is it terabytes, that kind of thing? I mean, is it maybe like um, IOPS or something like that? How quickly are handling requests are going through it? And the last one is if there's a definition of fault. So on the networking side, it's a little bit easier because you might have like a 100 megabit link. How close to full are you? So let's say you, you, you could, 100 megabits, the, the cap rate, you measured its max at around like 89, let's be honest. And let's see how close you are to that. So that's that's let's. And use is very similar. And the reason I, I remember all three of them together is because they're kind of related. So use is like a utilization, saturation, and errors. And then red is very similar, but it's going to be like rate, errors, and duration. So you can see that all three of these are, are related. But if, I, if you want to remember one thing from today, it's like let's use red. Now, you can think about this as something that could actually apply to a lot of things. And you, you know it's bad when we start trotting out the car analogies. Because it's going to be something that's useful for everybody. Mm -hmm. But essentially, thinking about monitoring in these sort of building blocks is a very powerful power, powerful, sorry, paradigm when you're thinking about other things that you're trying to measure. So you want to figure out, like, what's your maximum speed that you can go at? How close are you to that speed? Are there any errors during that time? 
how close are you to filling up like the the actual amount that you've got and that can be like a scaling thing so let's say you've got like one link you need to go to like an aggregate or maybe a 10 gig link we talked about 100 before you know with like one gig or 10 gig link or maybe something in fiber figuring out in capacity planning as well as it's quite heavy so basically using that that four golden signals to kind of talk about other things in the industry that you're working with on a regular basis is kind of what I'm getting at. That, that's sort of the crux of the issue. And we can kind of apply it to different scenarios here as, as we can networking in cars, but you can see that it will apply to many things. So it could be something like capacity of development. So how many devs do I have? How many features can I put on a regular basis? It's a little bit reductionist because obviously different codes is different, but if you're going through something like microservices and you've got a template set out and you know, Hey, a feature normally takes me about a month to deploy. I'm being a little bit, uh, you know, uh, we'll call it optimistic, or maybe it's something like a security fix. And the question is, what does that mean time to deliver? So if I have a security fix that needs to go out for a service, how long does it take me from committing it to getting approved to rolling out abroad? So that's kind of the big idea. Interesting on, um, so when you, when you talk about capacity, mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested in figuring out like, how do you actually come up with your capacity and I don't know if you have any examples, but like, you know, you have your spec sheet that says, um, right. you know, you should be able to do this. But then in the real world, oh, the traffic was had some uniqueness to it. You're not going to get those numbers that people advertise. So um, is that part of the exercise is actually trying to, if it was traffic, just trying to throw as much traffic through as possible. And then that's your benchmark. You got it. Yeah. So like, I'll, I'll pick an example just, just for fun. But there's a framework from Microsoft called the Cloud Adoption Framework. It's it's pretty good. It's basically about talking about like how to migrate to the cloud, where the steps you could take, that kind of thing. We had a joint blog post about it, I think a year, maybe a year and a half ago. But basically the main thing is to not only like have your spec sheet, so what's what's written on paper, your theoretical maximum, but also testing it. And when we're talking about things on prem, so we were talking about like line speeds, for example, on a NIC, like a network interface controller, like that that makes sense. So you've got a hundred megabit, one gig. Some of those new adapters might be like one to five or one to 10 kind of things allow variable speed. But the main thing is to test it on-prem, no problem. You can probably get your theoretical max, figure out you might lose like, I don't know, 10% for protocol overhead or something like that. But when you're in the cloud, things are quite a bit different actually. So let's say your baseline was set on-prem. You've got like a server talking to a database server. And you know that it needs to go at this clip in order to do something like the backup, which is going to use quite a bit of bandwidth as it's going through it. That scenario that you're running through on-prem, you say like, hey, we, we need to do a backup. And when we do the backup, things might be offline. We're, we're being, again, a little bit pessimistic here, but like when it's offline, I need to make sure that as I'm doing the backup, it happens very quickly. That same process, let's say you've moved it up to DR in the cloud, might be variable. And I, I like what you said there, because like testing at one time might not be the same time as let's say uh, a new Netflix show dropped and you happen to be in the same AWS region or perhaps there's somebody else running backups at the same time. You've got like a noisy neighbor, that kind of thing. Now these are supposed to be, um, we'll call them like reduced or, or not as effective or not take as much of an effect on you in the cloud. However, that being said, it does happen. So it's one of those things that you want to test on a regular basis, not just set once and say like, Hey, it looks like this all the time, but expecting that it might be, you know, plus minus 10%, plus minus 20, depending on the cloud that you're in, it could actually take a lot more time to do that backup that you're talking about. So putting in a bit of a, a factor, like a like a risk acceptance or a factor knowing that if it doesn't happen, hey, it could take twice the time, worst case scenario, as opposed to just looking at our average here. Maybe we're gonna look at our P99 or P95. When I'm saying this, the P99 or P95, I'm talking about the percentiles. 
So if we're going to be looking at the slowest traffic, what does that slowest traffic look like to give us the worst case scenario? When we talk about P95, P99, or P99.9, we're basically looking at the the nth amount, so the the, the top the top slowest 1% or the top 5% slowest traffic. What does that look like? So I can start to capacity plan or maybe plan on that, that backup. So like hey, you get a teleaccounting, this backup's taking a lot longer than we expected. It should not be blocking, but it's still happening. Because of that, here's our like our prepared plan. Uh, here's our SOP doc or what have you that's going to allow us to work around these issues. But the main thing is baselining and then looking at what your current measurements are and then comparing them to your baseline in order to plan for the future. Because just going in with a plan is good, but you got to actually look at what happened and then change your plan for the next time it happens. Because it, the, the onus is basically on the operator, right? If the next time you go to run something and it takes longer, then it's important for you to be able to know that there's like a plan B or, or something that you've measured before. So this is within tolerance or, hey, this is actually abnormal behavior. We need to pick a plan C or a plan D or, or what have you. That's the main thing that the calf puts for it. So not just saying, hey, I'm going to yeah. migrate, have a plan, migrate, but also think about your lessons learned. And the next time you go in to do something again, apply that that logic that you learned from the last step in order to make sure that it goes smoothly or that you get another plan that and I'm just picking that framework. There's a few other ones like landing zones and AWS, another one. Thinking about different guardrails and happy paths that you can choose. But I, I find the cap is a, a pretty easy way to talk about this. Okay, cool. Uh, what's next from there? I, I think the main thing is, so so once you've done sort of your, your planning, your capacity management, then it, it's, it's like I kind of, I want to say like day zero operation size, so you're planning, like your pre-work. So you're about to do something. You've done it. Let's say it's deploying a new service that's got an effect on that database server that you're using in the dev environment, it looked like this, and the staging environment it looked like this. And prod, it might look a little bit different, even though we try to keep staging and production the same. Sometimes, as you know, like your UAT environment may have been like a just this one server in a completely different region or a different data mm -hmm. center. And because of that, the user experience is different. The main thing is that day one operation. That's that documentation and figuring out what's actually going on. Then there's probably like the day 30. So like after a month, what are you actually doing? Then here's your, your day 500, right? So this service isn't, we won't call it legacy at this point in time, but we'll say that it's actually doing something that's handy for you. The main thing is going back and updating those documentation that you have from the, the day one, making sure that you run like what is normal. Um, some people will call like, uh, you might have like a run book or something like that, but actually writing down what normal looks like. And when I say this, I'm talking about like services within like an actual application, but this can apply to many facets. So it could be something like a network device that you've rolled out or a new platform that you rolled out. Maybe you're using like a new HCI, for example, on-prem, but you want to know what normal looks like. And the main thing is to take those learnings and go back and document it. So when we're talking about DevOps, we talked about that culture, that automation, that measurement. We're now into sort of the sharing aspect, so that S. So when you're talking about the sharing, basically taking your monitoring and not just writing down like, this is what happened yesterday, but also this is like yesterday compared to last week. So week over week, what does it look like? Month over month, what does it look like? It, sometimes you can get into quarter over quarter or year over year, depending on what you're talking about. When we talk about Black Friday, for example, like I used to work for Best Buy uh, doing some of their capacity planning. And it was more on the marketing side, less on the website side. But every year around Black Friday, we had a lot of exercises that we had to go through. And for me at the time, it was something like the sand. So the sand's going to be hit really hard at this point in time. What do we need to do 
to make sure that we're prepared for the next year that comes in because we've got like a bunch of assets that are new to us now. We've just adopted like this whole new technology platform. Maybe it's uh, like what were they? The, the Geek Squad, I think was one of the main things that we had kind of rolled out at the time. I, I was there a long time ago, you can tell. But like figuring out that we've got like the SKUs added, those those assets added, that kind of thing. What does that look like? Because last year it grew 30%. So this year it will probably grow 30% or more is like our SAN up to speed? Do we need to make sure that the links to the workstations are faster? Does the site that's actually slurping in all this data, are, are they able to grab it fast enough, that kind of thing? So making sure that you're going through and learning those lessons, documenting them, and then capacity planning for the next thing. And then again, going through that cycle, so doing it all over again. And we're, we're talking about like capacity planning year over year, but some of this can be like your, your financial kind of stuff as well. So let's say that you've got something, an expenditure that's uh, we'll, we'll call it like a lights on expense. So it's, it's running the service. It's very important to you in the cloud and it's running at a regular clip, but you got to make sure that you're watching that line. You know what that rate of change is when it comes to capacity planning. There's like, you don't want your CFO tapping in your own shoulder. So it's easier to get ahead of this and say, it looks like it's going to be this plus or minus this percentage. We should probably plan for this when it comes to capacity planning and budgeting. And that can get you into not just that year over year or month over month or week over week. You can get your one, three, and five-year plans on that way as well. And again, you got to keep going back and updating them. For those who have done like this financial finance kind of exercise, you'll know that like there's sort of like best effort, and then there's what actually happens. But at least having a plan, I think, is is what's there for you. So you can kind of take those same sort of monitoring philosophies and apply them to different maybe roles or hats that you might wear in in like the the ops engineer or let's call it sysadmin job. These are really important. You have to change hats, change lanes quite a bit making sure that you've got like a framework or a methodology that you can use for it is is pretty handy. Uh, maybe this is a cultural question there and right. you have all this experience in being in ops, but what does that documentation and review look like? Like are people right. taking everything? Is there like already fancy reporting? They just take that, throw it somewhere, somewhere and then they have regular meetings to review this kind of stuff. Um, and then second part of that question is it up to the owner of the, like, let's say, you know, the people that uh, operate Datadog, for instance, maybe that's a separate team and they they operate a whole bunch of um, things for the platform. And then you have your NetOps team or app developers and they are consumers of it. The data is more important to them. Are they the ones that own it at that point? They own that documentation. They're responsible for reviewing yeah, so at, at Datadog, obviously, it, it depends. It depends on the team. But what I can talk about more generally is sort of like that that ARCI approach or maybe the, the RACI approach, or you might have heard of like mm-hmm. RASCI, but basically just talking about for this documentation, what is the scope one? So like when you create a doc, and this doesn't need to be like a, a fancy SOP process or a standard operating procedure process or anything like that. It can be a doc in SharePoint. It can be in Confluence. It can be what have you. I, I think the most important thing is understanding one, who your audience is, so, so knowing who needs to be like informed by this, figuring out who your stakeholders are, so who needs to be like consulted or, or maybe brought into the process. And then what I think what you're talking about specifically is who's responsible for this. And it could be one person, it could be a team, but making sure when you're rolling out that new version of the service, when you're rolling out that new platform, when you're changing the way that you're budgeting for your finances, who is making the change, but also who's approving the change and who is let known about the change. So, so basically saying that like, it's like you've got like a sponsor within the business, you've got the person making the change and you've got the people that you can talk to prior to making the change and you get the people that you let know 
hopefully before, but when you also make the change. So, so I think identifying those for each of your docs when you're going out is really handy. And an easy way to do this, and, and this is more on, on the documentation side, but it's to actually have templates so that somebody can go to start that documentation mm-hmm. without having to make it like whole cloth brand new making sure they've got like mm. a guideline going through it and what i found for these kind of docs is actually really easy to write in just little snippets of like in this section you will want to do this or if it's a risk matrix mm. saying like this is how a risk matrix works this is what you'll need to know same thing for the r key or, or racy or rasky make sure if they know which each what each portion does and, and why it's important i like to think of, of like the five w's for a lot of these docs so like if you're thinking about who, what, when, where, and why it's, this is kind of the who bit, like who is, who is an audience for this talk? Who's going to update it? What's it? Maybe what does that schedule look like? How are they going to do it? Those, those kinds of questions come into play, but I do try to answer those and kind of a summary of the doc, just to give people like, this is how you're going to use it. Remove this section. It's in red when you clone this doc mm-hmm. and make sure you read this bit and then use the sections for each. I think that's kind of the approach and, and we can get into a little bit of the get off side. Like, whether or not you put this in as a readme and people approve it, or whether you've got like an approval workflow and something like an Afrosco or, or SharePoint or Confluence, what that looks like. But that draft process can also be pretty important. And depending on your regulatory like appetite or concerns, you may actually need like a, like a physical signature or one of those sign-offs as well, just to make sure that it's rubber stamped, uh, depending on how serious mm-hmm. it is and, and what the industry is. Yeah, that's. I mean, I like the idea of the template because it also, I mean, from the, I guess, from the writer's perspective, they know what to put in every time. And then from a reader's perspective, you know, okay, this section is most important to me. So I can skip to this section, go grab it, or they're used to like consuming the data. uh, It's a protocol, I guess, at that point, everybody knows like how to talk to each other. I I like it. Yes, it's absolutely a protocol. So so as a developer advocate, I'm maybe more of an ops advocate, but the main thing that we'll talk about is those protocols. So like if you're dealing with Datadog, what's the API that you want to use? If you're talking to an F5, is it SNMP you want to use to get the information out of it? Is there some other metrics endpoint that we should be using? But that protocol being predefined and written down is actually really handy. And making sure when you clone it that that info kind of comes with it, there's a bit of a breakdown trail that comes with saying, this is how to use me essentially. Here are the steps to use that that culture maybe of helping people out so that they don't think about uh, like what to do when they get there. So you're trying to think about in there, you've got empathy. If you're putting yourself in their shoes when they clone this doc, the question is what's in it for me? Like, why would I want to use this template as opposed to starting my own? Or maybe if I'm using a new service, why would I want to use a boilerplate template for that service that you already got? Or maybe it's something like an Ansible config for a network device. Why would I want to use this you know, software uh, configuration as code for my network devices instead of handcrafting each of these configs. What does that look like? What's in it for me? Why do I go to it? That cultural approach, I think, is really handy. And it kind of, mm-hmm. it, it almost pays dividends if you can get people interested in this kind of way of setting up happy path or guardrails or ways that they can essentially go through a process without having it be destructive for them, a resume generated event or a footcon or what have you, but making sure that they've actually got like, the process that that holds them to a certain standard while at the same time allowing them to make mistakes that are safe, I think is a a really important cultural touchstone. When you get to that maturity level, I I think it's kind of great after that. Yeah, very cool. And we are running up on our last uh, couple minutes here. So any any final points that you want to make, Ryan? I I think that the main thing for for us in terms of talking about monitoring and and networking is is one, you, you kind of talked about like, 
setting expectations. So making sure that what you see on the spec sheet is actually measured and tested and revisited. And then making sure that you're going through like a game day or a failure Friday or what have you, but you're testing what you already saw and making sure that you're going into a lower environment, like a dev environment, and then retesting and making sure that the actuals are still either the same or they're changing and going from there. Awesome. Very cool. Um, Ryan, where can people get a hold of you if they want to find you, follow some of the content that you're building? I, listen, I've been pretty busy lately, so I apologize, but I would normally say LinkedIn. You can find me at Ryan McLean on LinkedIn. So M-A-C-L-E-A-N is my last name. Uh, other than that, I'm on Twitter pr- pretty rarely or Hangout Slack. If you've not been there, it's, it's uh, just go to the Hangout Slack sign up. And um, those are kind of the three communities that I frequent the most. Okay, awesome. So we will throw links for all of that on the message forums if folks aren't aware. If you head over to community.f5.com, you sign up, it's free. There's a group called Dev Central Connects. I will create a show thread on there and then you'll find all the ways to get in touch with Ryan uh, on there. So um, with that being said, thank you very much, Ryan, for joining me this week. Thank you, Boo. Have a great day. Awesome. I'll see you in a sec. All right. Uh, super cool to have Ryan on again. Don't know why we didn't do this in person, but I think that's an idea for next time. Um, and also I should mention F5, Nginx, Datadog, we all have a partnership together. So we actually have some joint solutions that I'll highlight. I will throw that into the show thread, into the show notes or whatever. Um, but as far as your uh, uh, ways to do your monitoring for your F5, really easy to do. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, use the telemetry streaming API and then you throw your declaration in and it's just magic. It just starts working. You grab an API key off of uh, Datadog and, and off you go. And uh, that Ryan was mentioning as well, I haven't looked at it specifically, but Nginx uh, also has a really easy configuration that you can use as well. So uh, that all being said, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody, if you're watching from YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter right now, make sure you give us a follow on there. Hit like, leave comments, all that good stuff. And we're also available via audio podcast. So if you're not listening to us right now, you can actually listen to us if you head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify and look up Dev Central. Otherwise, thank you very much, uh, everybody, for joining me this week, and we will see you on the next one. Bye.